Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Saint of Suicides. Created by Alex Dolan. I'm awkward with guys. Always have been. I make fun of it at shows. I'm bad with dating etiquette. Like everyone tells me I'm not supposed to kiss on the first date. But how else am I supposed to feed them? (laughs) So, the second time Wesley attends group, I'm nervous around him. But I want to be close to him. So, I just plan it so that we sit together and wait. When the session is over, I gather my things so that we leave Lynn's house at the same time. I offer him a ride. He's wearing an orange sport coat and jeans and has grown his stubble out for a few days. I can't stop thinking about how gorgeous he is, and I hope I'm not staring. He seems so comfortable in his skin. I'm jealous. He smiles at me, and I can tell that he finds me attractive. At least I hope I'm reading this correctly. I can't believe you still take Bart. The rest of us are scared of trains. I gotta get around somehow. It doesn't ever bring you back to that night? Some days I get itchy when the train stalls for too long at a stop. You know, when the doors are open for too long. But I can't let a little fear ruin my life. I never get anything done. But I completely understand why you would want to avoid it. I don't want to drop him off. I don't want the evening to end. Are you in a rush to get home? Not really. Want to grab coffee? I don't think cafes are open at this hour. How about a drink? I take him to the alley, a divey piano bar. The piano is literally built into the bar, and the same man has been singing show tunes for decades. Where the hell have you taken me? Someplace quiet. You picked the right place. There's no one here. That's the way I like it. We can hear each other. Wesley orders a beer and I drink iced tea, just so we don't have to worry about being pulled over on the way back into San Francisco. To you eyes. They'll fuck with your life if you're not careful. And I have enough problems. We settle comfortably into a dark wooden booth. And I break the ice. So what happened to you that night? Wesley hasn't shared much in the two sessions at Lynn's house. And I'm curious. You gotta start with that? Why not? That's why we're all there. Alright. I was shot in the leg that night. Which leg? He stands up for a moment to show me. Right outer thigh. How long did it take to heal? A few months for the pain to go away and about a year to get back to walking without a limp. I can run a little now, but not much. (laughs) I was training for a marathon when it happened. Those plans went out the window. You could probably still do one eventually. Eventually. The way his eyes dart around the room, 
I can tell he doesn't want to keep talking about the shooting. And I don't want to sour the evening. You're a professional gamer? I'm an artist for a gaming company. <laughs> I'm an illustrator. That sounds interesting. It's all right. It pays. It's not what I thought I'd be doing right now. It's his turn to make me uncomfortable. What happened to you on March 25th? I was shot in the back. I don't want to mention who I've lost, so I take out the we and keep it to me. If we become good friends, I'll show you the scars. Went right through me. He looks concerned. That sounds serious. It was. Uh, I was in a coma for a week. So how'd you find out about the group? My shrink told me about it. He knows Lynn. How about you? He seems uncomfortable knowing that I have a shrink. I get the sense that any kind of therapy makes him uncomfortable. I hope this isn't a deal breaker. His energy puts me at ease and I want to stay here with him, getting to know each other. I was focused on physical therapy for the leg. I thought when the leg got better, I'd get better. But I hadn't been sleeping for months and I was freaked out by loud noises. And yet you still ride Bart. I never said it was easy for me. Do you need to get that? I'm good. I let it bounce to voicemail and reset the conversation again. So you can't sleep? Someone brought balloons to work to celebrate someone's birthday. At the end of the day, my co-workers started popping them. They, uh... They found me under my desk. You know, I was hyperventilating, but I don't remember a second of it. Shit. My family convinced me I should see someone, so I go to a doctor. He says I have PTSD. He gives me medication, and he tells me about this group. I think he knows Lynn somehow. Don't need to check it? It can wait. Someone might be trying to reach me. Someone might be in a crisis. If it's a real emergency, they'll keep trying me. Wesley finishes his beer. How long have you been going? About 18 months. Has it helped? I'm a little better than when I started. I like Lynn, and I think connecting with the others makes me feel less alone. So it's helped? That and time. I feel better than I did 18 months ago. I don't know how much of it is the group, how much is the passing of time, or how much is just part of the natural healing process. Whatever it is, I'll take it. Honestly, you should probably check it. He's getting irritated. I pull out the phone so I can turn it off. It's probably nothing. David has texted me. It's a different phone number, but I know it's him. His message reads, almost two years. Who is it? Someone I don't want to talk to. Are you sure? He must see the way I'm lingering on the screen. He's fidgeting. Maybe he wants to go. I should let him, but I don't want to. It's fine. Sorry. I don't normally get bombarded like this. I look again at my cell. David isn't the only one who texted. Diego has been trying to reach me too. He wrote, got a minute? I shove the phone back in my pocket. It's off. 
So, you're a comic. I regret telling him. I hope he doesn't do what other guys do. I hope he doesn't want me to be funny. Tell me a joke. I love to laugh. Please don't make me hate you so soon after we've met. How often do you perform? A few times a week. Do you love it? I do. It's good that you're doing something that you love. We should all be so lucky. You don't love game design? Not really. But it pays me to do what I love. Which is? I'll show you sometime. My pocket buzzes again, and he gives me a look of disappointment. I'm sure it's nothing. I should just turn off the damn thing. What am I doing with my phone on during a date? Is this a date? It feels like it. I glance at my screen, expecting to see another angry missive from David, or a pester from Diego. Instead, I see something from a new number. Emergency, it reads. Then, please. Sorry, I actually do need to take this. Go for it. I rush out to the street. Where on a Wednesday night, it's even quieter than the bar. The man on the other end hesitates. That's when I see something strange. Across the street, there's a man in a zip-up hoodie that is standing on the sidewalk. His hood is over his head, so it seems like he might be looking in my direction, but I can't be certain. Anyway, he's probably just waiting for his Uber. We met on, on the bridge a few weeks ago. You said to use this number for... for emergencies. I search for a quieter place and walk around the side of the bar, crouching down in the alley between buildings. Is this Haven? I think he's been drinking. That's me. What's your name? Richard. Are you a cop? I'm not a cop. So, if I say something bad, the police aren't gonna come to my house? I don't know where you live, so... no. Do you remember me? Of course I remember Richard. I remember everyone. His name was Richard Monroe. He lived in the Marina District of San Francisco, was a recently divorced tech executive. He'd been living in his apartment for two months, having just moved out of the house he shared with his wife. He lost a daughter recently. She was going to school at Oberlin. I found a Facebook tribute to her which included a photo of Richard with his daughter. He looked like a nice guy. A smile that was half gums and a blocky forehead. No trace of the looming sadness that would eventually consume him. There never is. You just lost your daughter when I met you. It's, uh... It's, uh, her birthday today. I'm glad you called. Sorry, I... I don't have anyone else. You've got me. The kid in the hoodie is still waiting for his rideshare. I swear he's staring at me, but I can't see his face. From the neck up, he looks like the ghost of Christmas future. I start to wonder about him. His body seems like it might be familiar. So, what should I say? I'm here to listen to you. Say whatever you want. Richard seems reluctant to start, so I coax him. I know this is a hard call to make, but you took a big first step by calling me. 
Believe me, most people don't get that far. I tried the regular suicide hotline, but they kept putting me on hold. I finally got through to someone and it just, it seemed like... He seemed... Like you didn't give a shit? Yeah, I guess. What's been going on? When we met, you, you talked to me about a saint. Which was it? I remember. This is Richard, the Catholic. Saint Dymphna. I meant to look her up, but... I forgot. She's the patron saint of people in distress. The distressed? Saint Dymphna is the patron saint of mental illness. I don't say this to most people because I don't want them to feel like I'm calling them crazy. This doesn't seem to phase Richard. Is that because the Catholic Church doesn't have a patron saint of suicides? That's exactly right. Who was she? She was a girl who lived in Ireland a few hundred years ago. Her mother died and her father went insane, wanted to marry his daughter. She fled all the way to Belgium, but her dad caught up with her. And when she refused to marry him, he cut off her head. So, she refused to marry her crazy dad, and he killed her. That's about the shape of it. So, why is she the patron saint of mental illness when her father was the crazy one? You got me. I never figured that out myself. I try to steer us back on track. Tell me a little about what's been going on. It's... it's... been a hard year. I've, um... I, uh... I give him room to talk. But he falters and the line is silent. Richard? There's no right or wrong thing to say. And I want to hear all of it. I've been having a crisis. How do I describe it? It's... It's just that I've had this revelation. I think the world is a rotten place, and I think I've proven to myself why it's a rotten place. I keep having this thought that for every day I'm alive, something else has to die. He waits for a response. Maybe congratulations for having arrived at a revelation this heavy. I keep listening. I mean, if I have chicken for lunch, some chicken had to be killed. If I have a salad, plants are killed. If I live in a house, trees are killed. If, if, if I decide to wear a cotton shirt, those plants are killed so that I can wear it. Even... Even if I wear something synthetic, the process to create the chemicals to produce that synthetic fabric produces waste that ends up killing things. And I think maybe the reason we're all here is only to, to die and be raw material for whatever else comes after us. Dinosaurs turn into gasoline. Maybe all we're destined to be is fuel. At best, we're the fuel that keeps the planet going, and maybe the planet churns like an engine for some larger purpose that we're too insignificant to fathom. And at worst, maybe we're fuel for a self-sustaining ecosystem that has no higher purpose, in which case it all means nothing. I wonder, if that's the case, what the point of everything is. Do I need a purpose at all? Is it 
it wrong for me to even dream of one? Or should I just give up and be fuel? All horseshit. Which is not to say I don't appreciate Richard's despair, nor do I believe he's wrong, per se. But this existential ennui isn't the reason he called me. Why don't you tell me what's happened over the past year? I lost my job. And I got divorced. There it is. I'm so sorry, Richard. I mean it. I'm lonely. I've tried dating, but nothing's working out. I didn't think it would be this hard on her birthday. My daughter's birthday, I... I, I wasn't expecting this much sadness. How old would she have been? The dog died too. <laughs> My life has become a fucking country song. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's just terrible. What happened with the dog? He's grateful to talk about something else besides his daughter. a dog. I'm pretty attached. What the? What kind do you have? They call it a little black devil. It's a skipper key. What's his name? Nicky. Not completely true. My dog's full name is Nicholas Van Orden, named after the Michael Douglas character in my favorite film, The Game. The movie is about the ultimate suicide intervention. He's three. You've got a long time left with him. Hopefully. left and after I lost my job it was it was just me home alone with clutch that that was his name Weimar honor he made me feel happy when everything else had gone to shit and then he was taken from me too I've got nothing now I've honestly lost everything and today just Today just makes it all too clear how much that is. That's really awful, Richard. No one should have to go through that kind of loss. And I just, I just started to think, why bother anymore? It's not like anyone's gonna miss me. My family hasn't called me. Everyone keeps saying you shouldn't kill yourself because it'll just cause pain to your family, but. Really gave a shit, they'd be there for me. My wife left me. My mother is dead, and my father and brother haven't called me in months. If they were that supportive, I probably wouldn't be here right now thinking about, you know. Families can suck, no doubt. They're everywhere when you don't want them, and nowhere when you need them. Pretty much. That's why you can't count on them to make you feel better. I don't. You can't always count on your friends to make you feel better either. I don't. But that means I have no one. Not true. <laughs> what, I've got myself? I should just turn my frown upside down? No, not at all. You can't switch off depression. 
the world would be a great place if we could, right? It doesn't work like that. But you have control over something. I can't control my own happiness. He's wondering if this call was a waste of time. No, you can't. You can only control what you do. What the hell does that mean? It means, if you can move your body, you still get to decide what you do with yourself. It means you can move. And if you can move, you can distract yourself. It's when you stop moving that the bad thoughts creep in. I think I've hooked him. Or at least, he's willing to entertain the notion. All right. What do you suggest? Find the nearest animal shelter and go there tomorrow. You're not suggesting I get another dog. Fuck! Everyone has been telling me I just need to get another dog. No, I'm not. But if you go to a shelter, they'll probably let you play with the dogs. They'll let you take one for a walk. And if you loved Klutz that much, it might be a good distraction for you to play with an animal. That's your solution. Think about the last time you were happy. And he admits it. It was with Klutz. Exactly. Look at it this way. Say everything you said was true. Say our existence is nothing more than being fuel for the engine. If we're that simple, then it stands to reason it shouldn't take much to manipulate us. And that's what we're trying to do. If the world has conspired to make you miserable in a catastrophic series of events, you can fight back. You can help manipulate yourself in the opposite direction. Play with dogs, Richard. That's your homework. Will you do that for me? I need to manipulate myself. Exactly. Can you do that for me? I'll try. All right. Will you be safe for tonight? No bullshit. I don't want you to tell me something I want to hear. Yeah, I think so. Will you call me back if you're not safe? Again, don't just tell me some bullshit I want to hear. Yeah, I think I will. I hope I've helped. It's the best I can do. I just... tell him what I wish people had told me when I'd been on the brink. I sit with the phone in my hands. I hope Richard sleeps well, and that tomorrow gives him a new start. I walk back to Grand Avenue, and the guy in the hoodie is gone. Wesley is gone too. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. 
Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Hi, this is Alex Dolan, the creator for The Patriot Saint of Suicides. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to support some of the work that people are doing in mental health, I wanted to call out a great organization called the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And you can find more information about them at nami.org. That's nami.org. And again, thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of the show. Gibson and Blossom went over notes in Blossom's office. They came in early, so Gibson could get on with her other duties. She wore a uniform, and Blossom wore a suit without a tie. The tie, rolled up in his drawer, would be knotted after 9 o'clock. Most of the office was still dark. No one had turned on the lights in the hallway, but he heard someone. Fennel poked his head in the doorway, his hair shaved in a flat top, which made him look like a chaperone at a 1950s prom. Morning, officer. You get lost on the way to traffic duty? Leave her alone. Fine. All right, sensei. I'll leave you lovebirds to it. He's an ass. Ignore him, and your life will be better. Why did he call you sensei? Blossom pointed to a plaque on the wall. Of this thing. What is it? Martial arts. Stamp of approval. Black belt? Second degree. (laughs) You don't strike me as the ass-kicking type. That's not a compliment. It is. You have this serenity about you. It's like working with a priest. A priest? Not exactly a priest. Do you still train? Not much anymore. You know, the most important thing I learned through that? Patience. Do you keep that plaque up there to remind yourself to be patient? No. 
I probably keep it up there to impress folks like you. <laughs> they went back to it at their notes. Even though this wasn't officially a homicide case, he had dedicated some space to it on the court board and on an adjacent whiteboard, two gigantic canvases that took up much of his wall. They had showed the train engineer a photo of Kevin Acampo, and he seemed fairly confident that it was the young man he saw on the tracks. Blossom was dubious of the witness's reliability, but it was something. Is he sure? He said the man's head was bowed, like he was praying. Did he really get a good look at the face? He said he was sure. He looked at the photo of Kevin Acampo on the corkboard, flanked by images of his parents, Raymond and Deidre Acampo, as well as Amelia Booker. Below this tier, they tacked up names of a few school and neighborhood friends of Kevin Acampo, and some associates mentioned in his criminal file. The board is starting to look like a homicide investigation. It bears that resemblance. But this is a suicide. Pretty sure. But not completely sure. Let's go over what we know about Kevin. Has a record. Served six months, mostly minor crimes, but possibly he was involved in two homicides. Not on his way to winning the Nobel Prize. Not sure if he has official gang affiliations. Might have been trying to settle down with Amalia Booker. But then again, if his parents were still paying for his cell phone, how responsible could he have been? Most people say he was funny, and they can't understand why he would kill himself. That's my problem. I can't understand why he would have done it either. Maybe he was bottled up. He could have suffered with depression and no one ever knew. Maybe. But then there was the call. They had gotten data from the SIM card plucked out of Kevin's heart. Around the time of death, Kevin had received an incoming call from an unknown number. It took them all day to get the warrant to track the number, and it didn't help. The call came from a disposable cell phone. It's not unusual for these guys to call each other on burners. Nope. Not at all. Are you thinking he was into something else? Is there any chance this might have been an execution? Hard to say, but I wouldn't rule it out. The call from the burner gives us some gray area. That's all. What do we know about his contacts? Amalia is clean. So is the mother, Deidre. Not Raymond, though. Raymond Acampo busted for grand theft and breaking and entering. Most recently, he burgled a home in Glenview in 2012. Served two years for it. He was the one Kevin looked up to. Maybe hero-worshipped. Raymond was grooming Kevin. Got him into trouble? There's no evidence of that. Not yet. It just has me wondering if Kevin might have been inspired to follow in his father's footsteps. Blossom rolled his chair to the whiteboard. He jotted a header. Motive. What have we got? Motive for suicide, homicide, or both? Motive for whatever would have gotten Kevin on those tracks. Blossom wrote, depression. Doesn't seem likely, based on what we know about him, but let's put it up. Should we have sub-bullets? A lot of things could have caused the depression. Family, girlfriend, money problems, sexual confusion. Can't rule out anything. Blossom wrote her suggestions next to depression. Underneath depression, he wrote, accident. He was goofing around out there, either by himself or with friends. And he just stepped on the wrong tracks at the wrong time. Pretty hard to miss a train coming at you, even with the fog. He should have been able to sense that thing coming from a ways off. The lights, the vibration, the noise. You might miss it if you're drunk or high. 
Did the lab come back with anything? Nothing conclusive, but they have an imperfect specimen to work with. The intestinal tract, which is where they would find most of that evidence, stretched out over a hundred yards. Oh, my God. Don't remind me. Gibson stared at the word accident. Why would someone go out there by himself? Well, if it was drugs, maybe he decided to go for a walkabout in Oakland that night. Maybe he was with people. We couldn't find witnesses to say one way or another on that. Doesn't mean they weren't there. Maybe he came with a group and stayed behind. Next to accident, Blossom drew an arrow and wrote, Dare. You get a bunch of stupid guys around. One of them sees if he can outrun the train, like Superman. He was kneeling on the tracks. I know. I was just playing with the idea. Maybe he was going to leap out of the way at the last moment. To prove he was stone cold under pressure. Did you get alibis from his friends? From some friends, but not all. Some were home and some were out, but wouldn't disclose the location or who they were with. Some of his friends are shady, too. Big gray area. Then there's this. The next word on the dry erase board was coercion. Hmm. This presumes someone else forced him onto those tracks, and we have no witnesses that place anyone else out there. It goes on the board just the same. Now... What would cause someone to be coerced to the point where they were willing to kneel down in front of an oncoming train? He was protecting someone he loved. Family. Girlfriend. Friend. Kevin seemed like the heroic type. How would we know? We never met him. Fair point. Blossom wrote down, protecting loved one. Initiation. I was wondering about that myself. He supposed gang initiations could include a stunt like this. If Kevin Acampo was being initiated into a gang, the plan might have been to pull him off the tracks at the last moment. Maybe he got struck. It was possible. Gibson had found some of Kevin's known contacts had gang affiliations. Blossom had seen how the older kids influenced the younger ones. Someone with power, someone charismatic, could be a hero for someone like Kevin Acampo. If Kevin was on that track, there could have been all sorts of rites of passage conjured up by his elders that allowed him to test his mettle. Maybe Gibson was right. Maybe this was a ritual that went wrong. Under initiation, Blossom added, execution. Maybe he was already affiliated, and he was meant to die on those tracks. Would that fall under coercion? Sort of. But I'm breaking it out into its own category. He could have been with a gang member, newly initiated, and robbed a rival gang. Crossed the wrong people. Maybe someone just didn't like him. Committed a lethal faux pas. If this was an execution, where was the executioner? Just because the engineer didn't see anyone else out there in the dark doesn't mean there wasn't someone there. Where's the evidence? There was trash all over the scene. There's evidence everywhere. We just haven't processed it all. For all we know, a killer, if there was a killer, could have thrown away a burger wrapper a minute before the train struck. He looked to the desk, where evidence from the scene sat sealed in clear plastic bags. Blossom picked up the bag containing the green Lucha Libre mask. For all we know, a killer left this at the scene. Can you think of why this would be at the scene? Do you think Kevin brought it? Under his direction, the police were already examining local shops in Oakland where these masks were sold. They wouldn't find anything. These were sold everywhere in Oakland, the surrounding towns, 
in San Francisco. The amount of physical evidence, blood and tissue, as well as the condition it's in, makes me think that this found its way to the tracks at the same time as Kevin Acampo. But why? Part of the stunt? Maybe he was coming from a party and had it on him. Maybe he was goofing around and this was just whimsy. I don't know. If this was an execution, why wouldn't Kevin run? Maybe they already beat him down. Maybe he had some injury that wouldn't allow him to move. The condition the body is in, we might not have noticed injuries that happened before the collision. Could be that someone took him there, beat him into submission. Maybe they gave him the option of dying by train or dying in some way worse. Worse? Plenty of worse ways to go, where it isn't so quick. You think that's how it happened? If it was an execution, maybe Kevin found some sense of honor in how he was going to die. Not begging for his life or running away only to be hunted down like an animal. With everything we know now, do you think this could be something other than a suicide? He picked up the plastic bag and played with the wrestling mask inside it. Until we have all the data, we can't rule it out. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.